Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson. Today, I'm sitting down with Verl Allen, the CEO of Clarivine, a technology platform that helps companies standardize, govern, and connect their marketing data. Previously, Verl served as Director of Corporate Development at both Adobe and Omniture, a computer software company. I'm super thrilled to be talking to him today. Verl, thank you very much. Let's start with a bit about you and your background. You want to tell us a little bit more about your experience? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's good to be here. You know, it's interesting. I've been in kind of the digital marketing space and really I look at it as kind of the digital marketing and, and data space for the last 21 years. I came to the space not as a marketer, but more as a quant, it's a finance. I have a finance background, I spent a number of years in investment banking, and then saw what was happening in digital marketing and and really kind of, especially in the enterprise, and thought, you know, this is a really interesting problem that's not so much, I didn't view it so much as a marketing problem as much as I saw it as a data and an and a analysis and analytics. Um, and a quantitative problem. And so it's really kind of pulled me into this. I've had the opportunity to both be a practitioner for a number of years in the enterprise and also have had a chance to be on the other side as, as part of, you know, at Adobe on the experience cloud and at, at Omniture, one of the kind of leaders in and early leaders in um, marketing analytics. And so I spent a number of years in this space and it's interesting. I, you know, late in 28, in middle of 2018, I kind of saw a an opportunity emerging in the market and largely came out of the work I'd been doing at Adobe. We spent, you know, 12 years at Adobe or between 10, and 12 years at Adobe, really pulling together a number of technologies, building out a suite on the experience cloud side there. And what became apparent to me as I saw more and more enterprise marketing organizations and companies doing this was they were using a mix of solutions, not only Adobe solutions, which on the face of them at the applic- at the kind of workflows kind of layer are integrated, what I was seeing more and more was challenges that these enterprises were having on the data side. And the scale of that problem was getting to be so large that it became apparent to me that there's got to be somebody that helps these organizations solve this problem. And that's largely why I came here at the time it was a group of four people kind of really kind of on a science project and really trying to, and really try to solve some real problems for enterprises. And and it gave me a chance to come over here and really take that thesis and put it to a test at Clarivine. Yeah, it's interesting that I think so many people are dealing with data at different levels and with different experiences. How has that experience for you changed over the last two or more decades, especially going into different industries, although maybe, maybe they are sort of collapsing in certain ways. Maybe you could say a little bit about that, how that experience has changed over time and over different uh, areas. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a couple of things that are that are happening. One is, and some of this was has been years. It's not things that happened immediately, but there's big trends that have happened over the last couple of decades. One is, you know, the 2010s were really a decade of SaaS, and you saw the emergence, and rightfully so, of a proliferation of applications in the enterprise. I, I think the number out there that we that we kind of use from some third party data is that the average enterprise has over 300 SaaS applications. In the marketing digital, in the marketing organizations, these enterprises, they have somewhere between 50 and 100 applications. Yeah, and let, me, let me stop you right there just for a second. And so you could explain exactly what SaaS applications are and how they're distinguished. Just for, yeah. I not know. Yeah. So the acronym SaaS is software as a service. So 
historically, the way software was purchased and in the enterprise up until kind of the mid 2000, you know, between it would either be typically be installed in servers inside the enterprise, and then you would use the software inside the company. What happened though, in the, in the, in, and Salesforce is a big proponent of this change. And a big reason this all changed is there's this realization that standing up software and managing software inside the enterprise was not something they were particularly good at. And it was, it was not part of their core competency. And so you saw this emergence of companies that were, and, and you saw the emergence of the cloud where companies could host software in the cloud. And it's really kind of a single version of that software to a large degree. And that software could then be used by all sorts of different companies, not having to manage the infrastructure for that and being able to have their information workers utilize software and, and leverage software that was hosted in a cloud by a, a software vendor and being able to be served into the enterprise from the cloud. And that shift, that fundamental shift from buying software, managing it on my servers to renting, if you want to call that the subscription-based approach to, to buying software and utilizing it from a vendor who manages all the infrastructure and support around that really has changed the way that companies use software and the ease with which they can stand up software, which is great. There's some challenges with that. And there's companies that have emerged to handle some of these challenges. One of like, I think about Okta. Okta handles the authentication challenge that you see in enterprises in the fact that you have hundreds of SaaS solutions and how do you manage users across that many, you know, that many applications across an organization where you have thousands and thousands of users on software. And so as this industry emerged and as shifted with SaaS, it became easier for organizations to buy specialized software and teams and teams were using software and groups were using software. And in a lot of, a lot of cases, it was bypassing IT because, you know, to stand up a software solution internally in a company took a huge review of IT, a huge implement, long you know, implementation process versus put it on a credit card, start using it. And in a lot of cases, the company doesn't even know if these people are using it. And so what that results in though, and what we, where I kind of come, come with to this is every one of those SaaS applications, most of them, I should say, create, create data. And there's a data as an exhaust from, what's, from the usage of those, of those applications and from the deployment of those applications. And so as you think about what's happening now is you've got hundreds of applications in the, in the enterprise that are kind of creating and building data sets in silos in a lot of cases. And so that's, that's one of the big, big kind of transitions we've seen is this huge emergence of SaaS and some of the underlying advantages and disadvantages that that, that creates. The other big thing I think you're seeing in, in, that's, that's shifted in the enterprise as it relates to data is that there's just a, the scale of the data is so massive now and the, and the variability and the, the specificity of that, uh, of that data in the sense of it's, it's for specific uses here. And, and how do you start taking that data that's coming from a particular channel or a particular silo and use it more broadly? Because everybody's wanting to get a much broader view of engagement from a customer perspective and view of the business. And there's this tension that exists in the sense of, I need specific applications for end users, excuse me, specific applications for the work they are doing every day. And then I need to be able to analyze this kind of end to end. And there's this kind of tension that exists and challenge that exists in the, in the enterprise. And I, I think just generally, as the other big thing is that companies have come to realize that there's a huge amount of value in the data. Mm -hmm. And that data is 
is gold. And the opportunity is the data and the challenge is the data. And I think that's where we're a little bit at this nexus where fortunately in the last couple of years, you've seen this emergence now, this whole new kind of group of companies. And I'm thinking of Databricks and Snowflake and others that are really building out cloud-based data infrastructure to really kind of start to address this, you know, the scale of the problem, the scale of the opportunity and the specific needs of the enterprise, because there are a lot of related challenges when you start really trying to manage and leverage data effectively in an organization that are just emerging and they're going to continue to emerge over the next 10 years. So I think we kind of made a big shift in like 2020 from the decade of SaaS applications or software as a service in the 2010s to now, what do we do with all the data that's coming from that? As a, In some cases, it's just an exhaust. In other cases, it's a huge trove of data that people are trying to take and turn it into information and into insights. And, and that, that's becoming increasingly important as you think about the emergence of machine learning and AI and some of the other really scaled data opportunities that are they're emerging in the, in the enterprise. Yeah. And I think that's it's such a fascinating and complex problem. I mean, you talked about data as gold now, but it reminds me of, you know, when you're getting raw materials, oil, minerals, what have you, it seems great. And in some cases you're like, okay, this is going to create a fortune for me, but then you need to have those skills to actually convert it into something you can, you know, put into your car or yeah. something that you can create, um, you know, whatever it is with. And people don't necessarily have those skills or they're not sure, you know, they know that this thing is valuable. Everybody seems to agree. Like you don't need to convince anybody that data is important today, but what to do with the data, how to convert it into yeah. you know, the, the final product is a really big challenge, especially as we seem to get so much, as you said, what are some of the specific challenges and like the pros and cons of how people have dealt with it? Maybe you've seen this kind of thing where um, people have, you know, they have these huge troves of data and they've made certain decisions. What have you, what have you seen happen and where has that taken certain companies or certain product managers? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, one thing I see a lot is this notion and we call it in our, in our, in our team here, we call it kind of organizational entropy, which is there's this belief that everyone kind of, as, as, as I talk to people, in, especially in large organizations, there's a little bit of a collective understanding that we have, or they have a problem with data quality and they know it. The challenge is, is that their next response is we've kind of learned to live with it and we just kind of do the best we can. And it's, we're not sure how to even change that we know that you know 30% of this data is not of a level of quality that we can actually use it and so we just kind of discard it and we what's left over we kind of use to to make decisions and it's it's interesting because that's one thing i see is that there's just almost entropy of like well we're just kind of resigned to like it's it's going to be not great data mm-hmm. and we're just going to continue to live with this because it's almost easier to live with it than to make the changes necessary. And we're not sure where to even start because you've got, in some cases, there's not an organizational wide strategy. And this is something that Gartner and others talk about how I think the the number, the percentage of companies that have a enterprise wide data strategy is I think down in like less than 30%. So there's, you know, more than two thirds. And I, and I would even suspect that of that 30% that are approximately that say they do have, 
it probably is of varying degrees of maturity. And so one thing that we, we see a lot of is organizations kind of not sure where to start and just kind of continuing to exist with the problem the way it is today and, and hoping in some ways that, I don't know, that it doesn't get found out that there's a problem. <laughs> it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, but I, I think that's one thing that I see a lot of. You know, the other, the other thing that's, that's happening is a lot of organizations are really being aggressive on trying to deploy and working with third-party firms, you know, like the Deloitte's and the Accenture's and Capgemini and others to deploy solutions that help to address this problem. And I think that there are a, a bunch of solutions coming online. The challenges I think a lot of people have is where the overlap, where does one solution begin and one end? And how do you stack these together? Because right now it's a little bit like things back in the early 2000s with the internet is that there isn't a provider out there end to end of a solution. So you kind of have to pull things together. Snowflake, I know is doing it, is really kind of taking the lead on trying to pull you know, build out as quickly as possible, either through their own resources or partners capabilities to extend that value chain. And I think that's, that's going to be an interesting kind of dynamic that happens over the next few years is how does that get built out and who, who leads the build out of that? Because it's, it's a highly fragmented and kind of competitive marketplace right now. And, and it's still emerging. Yeah. And I think that you know, ties into your mission at, at Clairvine and how you saw an opportunity that you wanted to address, as you said before, can you say a little bit more about that, about where you saw potential solutions to this problem that we've been talking about? Yeah, it's interesting because I think historically, the way that we as an industry have looked at and tried to solve data quality is much more reactively. There's a, an acronym called you know, ETL. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's, it's basically, it's about extracting data transforming data and then reloading that data to then use it because it's, it's almost a cleanup. If you think about it, it's a cleanup process. It's, it's a process that there's more and more technology being thrown at, but it's historically been a fairly labor-intensive process. And it, it takes and occupies a lot of time for data engineering teams and data science teams. And we kind of see the, pro, the, the opportunity very differently, which is, and that in, in that world, it's a very data IT-centric approach to solving the data problem. What The way we look at the problem is, if you're going to solve it reactively, that's great, there's, but there's some challenges that, and there's some gaps that that presents. We take a different approach, which is we believe that data quality is really something the enterprise itself holistically has to address. And we, we try to approach the problem much more from a proactive approach, which is, listen, if at the very beginning of the creation process, you can put in place data standards at the front end and have a way to manage, enforce, and apply those data standards throughout the process, what you end up with is a much better set of data on the other side and a bunch of relationships now in the data itself that don't natively exist from data coming from applications. And that's where we sit is we've kind of said, let's flip this whole paradigm on its head. And instead of being reactive to data quality, let's be proactive. And I think that is kind of the big difference in the way we've approached this problem than most folks out in the industry. And that's, and that's what, to me, really kind of brought me here and, and really got me excited about this is that it's a chance, in, from my estimation, to really change the way the industry itself thinks about data quality and how you approach solving that problem. Yeah. And as you've already mentioned, you know, this is, it's a really complex thing 
which I want to dig into in different ways as we talk. Cleaning data and solving the kinds of issues you're talking about is obviously a huge problem, especially for those in the trenches. You know, if they're spending all of their time trying to clean data so that it becomes usable, I think the solution that you're talking about, about being proactive rather than reactive, is an easy sell to those people. How have you found talking to other stakeholders who may be more hesitant or they don't necessarily see the benefit in putting in the amount of time, effort, maybe money that it will take, even though they know that, you know, it should provide some benefits, they don't see it the same way as a data engineer, for example. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question because what we see a lot of times is as we engage with new customers, for example, the, typically the first meeting we have, and, and we sell in typically right now through the marketing organization, although what we're seeing more and more is enterprise architects and even some of the data folks are, are getting involved in the decision-making up front. We typically will see organizations, their first reaction when we first engage with them is, hey, they describe the problem and we start describing our solution or we'll describe our solution. And they're like, oh my gosh, that, that is exactly what our problem is. We have this problem and we don't know how to solve it. As we describe the solution, and it's really something that the way to think about it is we're providing the business side of the organization with a, a cloud-based application that allows them to really be aligned and to be and manage and govern the way that they are implementing campaigns, you know, the way that they're describing and defining data or, or excuse me, uh, creative and other, uh, other aspects of experience. And what we see almost instantly with most customers we talk to is everybody out there is dealing with this problem. It's largely a universal problem. Oh my gosh, we, we are struggling with end-to-end -end measurement, or we're struggling with really understanding the value of X or Y or Z. We spoke to one of the largest kind of software companies in the world, and they, they told us, you know what? We can't optimize our media spend on Tuesdays because the data is, it takes us so long to get the information, get the data to process and to, to clean it up that we have every week a gap every day where we're spending millions and millions of dollars and we just have to let it run. Wow. And we don't, have, we don't have any ability to influence it. And we're seeing other, you know, I talked at one of the largest pharmaceutical firms in the, in the world was telling us it takes them three months to get, perform the analysis they need to make decisions, specific decisions with their business that have impact tens of millions. And, you know, in some cases, actually not three months, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so what we see largely is the organization understands the problem, the business side of it understands the problem. There becomes a challenge sometimes when you get the business and the kind of IT and the, the data folks together of who owns this and how do we roll this out? Yeah. And what's interesting to us is I think there's also this kind of, like I mentioned earlier, this, this organization's kind of inertia towards everyone thinking, hey, well, this is a problem that you solve in the data pipeline. This is a problem that you solve with AI, or this is a problem that you solve with software, you know, or, or you know, downstream. And once we kind of help them understand, really, if you implement data standards on the front end, a lot of these downstream problems sort of go away. And I think it, it almost seems, I find that people think it's almost too simplistic to actually be effective, if that makes sense. In the sense yeah, that we're not, yeah, we're not trying to boil the ocean here. We're really trying to help the organization organize their teams and create a, an ability to understand data across teams and be able to implement it more on the business side to really solve this problem before it's ever a problem. And I think that's a different way of thinking about this 
especially as you think about from the data side, because they're, they're typically getting handed off problems and kind of asked to deal with it. Yeah. And our approach is saying, no, actually stop accepting the problems, have the business, empower the business to fix these problems upstream. And it makes everybody's lives a much, much better. And does it take, it does take some discipline and it does take some process change sometimes on the, on the business side, but largely that is kind of obfuscated from the end users and, and, once we kind of get in there, we typically will, will roll out kind of in a business unit and we're surprised at how quickly, you know, I have customers that were paying us $30,000 two years ago. They're now paying us a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And they've, they've continued to roll it out more broadly because they've seen success in mm-hmm. pockets and then in, you know, across business units, across geographies. And it becomes much more of a realization that this is a global problem that we have to implement globally rather than a divisional or a regional or a, you know, channel-based problem. It, the, the more holistically we solve these problems, the problem kind of solves itself. Yeah. At the same time, I could see exactly what you're talking about, about the organization creates challenge. The way organizations start out often creates challenges because you have silos and you have people in a very specific area concerned about specific numbers, which may look very different, even though they should be talking to each other, just the way that they're using them or the way that they're organizing them look very different depending on their their department, for example. How have you seen changes implemented in an effective way? And maybe even even better in in terms of learning, how have you seen changes or, or lack of changes hurt that process so that maybe listeners can avoid those things too? Yeah, it's interesting because I what what we see sometimes is it's it's interesting when you shine a light on something how it changes behaviors. And we've seen a number of instances with some of our largest customers where they're global brands and they they are selling products and advertising and you know promoting the brand globally to consumers and one thing we see a lot is resistance from their partners, their agencies. And what one of the one of the real advantages it's this whole idea of a global deployment which includes not only within your organization but extending the data model and extending data quality and controls on that out to your agencies and to your partners which historically have kind of done their own thing and been mm-hmm. on islands and been almost insulated from from this to a certain degree and so one of the things we see almost we saw this more early on i think we're seeing it we're actually seeing now more so some of the more forward-thinking folks on the agency side leaning in now, which is they were very resistant because they, they almost didn't want to have, they wanted less, you know, I, I think there was this belief of less transparency is better for our relationship and brands are requiring, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing for more transparency. And we have a solution that really helps create that and, and enforce that. And so we've seen in, in some cases, you know, resistance to using our solution and part of it's just because it's a, it's a very different, you know, it's a, it's change, which people a lot of times don't like. And B, it starts to expose, I'll say it kind of starts to expose bad practices that have been going on for a very long time. And I think the more that you can shine light, you know, light of these things, the problems, and the more that you are able to bring a solution to the problem and the broader you're able to implement that, it really at, over time allows stakeholders to enforce process change, which is really necessary. And and, because I think this old way of operating in silos and the way we've always done it, it just doesn't work anymore. Like you you have, that is a recipe for 
disruption. And that is the recipe for kind of going the way of a lot of companies that, that didn't, that haven't made it past a couple of the last kind of transformations in, in the enterprise. And so what we see a lot of times is, is people resisting change, but the interesting thing is once you have success in an organization in pockets, even it's very easy to start making the argument of, no, we're, we saw success here. We're going to extend it here and we're going to extend it here. And it forces people to get aligned and it provides as that kind of momentum builds, it provides the, the kind of sponsor or the stakeholder, the chief stakeholder, more leverage and more opportunity to kind of really drive change that needs to happen in an organization. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. I think it would help me even more if, if there are any business cases or examples you could share. I mean, you, you obviously don't have to share the names, but I'd love to know how, like, what was a change that a stakeholder made or that, you know, a group made? And what was the result that, that really helped them? Because, I mean, we've talked about solutions and I know it looks different for different organizations, but can you maybe give an example of something? Yeah, so one of the customers that we work with, they did some analysis on their side and they, they recognized that they were losing somewhere between five and $10 million a year in revenue because they were sending traffic or they're sending customers to pages on their site or digital experiences that were not even stood up. They thought, you know, the agency was sending traffic somewhere. There's so a lot of it was just a communication thing. The, hmm. the, the infrastructure was not stood up. The dollars got spent, traffic got pointed somewhere, and literally was, they were literally sending it to 404 pages. And it's a little bit of a whack-a-mole because you've got the internal teams that are responsible for that infrastructure and responsible for tracking and measuring, and the media teams, which are largely at agencies. There's no real way for those two groups. They're so far disconnected. Like This, this team doesn't even know who these people are, and these people mm-hmm. don't know who these people are. And so what we help them do in, in some ways is, is there's a in our solution, it's not just about bridging technologies and it's not just about data, but it's about helping to create a way for teams to connect and collaborate within our solution and understand what's happening where within the organization. And so one, one example is, is that, is they took that number from literally, I think, I think the estimate is seven to $10 million a year, almost down to zero. And simply wow. by just helping teams understand what each other were doing, where there were problems and being able to rectify them immediately rather than this continuing to, you know, to spend dollars to send traffic somewhere that wasn't, the experience wasn't even stood up. Or even, you know, another example is we had a, one of the large travel and hospitality companies and, and they, they measure their whole business on revenue per available room. And what they were able to do because they had a much more holistic way to optimize, as you think about a hoteler, hotelier, it, they've got thousands and thousands of properties and you're talking about kind of, you know, a thousand micro markets, if you want to call it that way. And how do you optimize across that complexity that exists in that organization? They were able to improve the way they were measuring where they were spending dollars, how they were spending dollars. And it, they estimated that it re- reduced their, or excuse me, increased their revenue per available room. I think it was by 3%, which doesn't sound like a big increase, but when you're talking a billion dollars, 3% is a lot of money. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just found money. Another, another situation we, we found was an organization that's a large technology company. They were trying to automate the creation of experiences. The challenge they ran into was they had content 
siloed across the organization in a kind of myriad of digital asset management solutions and content management solutions. And so they didn't know which content was in which solutions for which demographic, for which products, for which geographies, which stage of the funnel. As you think about the experience of where's that customer at in their buying process, who are those who are those prospective customers? And so they were struggling to really automate the creation and the delivery of those experiences, which when you're talking a company that, you know, does, you know, tens of billions of dollars in revenue a year, it gets really complicated and be able to execute on that at scale. Mm -hmm. And so what they were seeing was a lot of breakage, a lot of experiences that were not correct being delivered. And so with our solution, they were able to really get much, much tighter on how they were identifying which content was where and being able to tie that description of the content and the data around that content to the specific stage of funnel, to the specific products and experiences that they were trying to deliver and automate that. So it wasn't just an efficiency thing. It was an, a lift in the, the types of experiences and the types of engagements they were able to, to um, create for their, for their users, which is really kind of foundational to their ability to create, consistently create robust customer experiences. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great example, all of those, because it's exactly, I think, what people want. Like if you said, hey, I'm going to point out where you're losing millions so that you don't lose anything now or that you gain, I think everyone would be super happy about that. I think what happens sometimes is that even if people can ensure to an extent the accuracy, consistency of data, the question is, what do I do with this to look for insights? And I'm yep. wondering what advice you might have. So if you said, it, like if, if this company knew that they were losing millions by sending people to 404 pages, I'm sure they would address it right away. But at some point, somebody had to have discovered that, right? By, I assume, using data, getting that insight. But they wouldn't know to look for that necessarily. So what do you, how do you start? Yeah, so I think where you start is this, is you have to decide what it is you're trying to accomplish. So one of the things we see, right, and, and we're talking to a number of companies about this right now, is there's a number of large enterprises that, and, and I think this is broader than that, that have stood up in the last year, machine learning infrastructure, right? Everyone's talking about machine learning and AI and all this. The challenge that a lot of companies are running into is they stand it up, they start to build models and they realize, wait a second, I have to have a certain level of data quality, a certain level of data quality in order to include that data in the data set that I'm going to then train or build a model off of. What they're running into is, wait a second, we thought we had we have this massive amount of data. The amount of data that we actually can utilize, train, and build these models is actually a fraction of that. So what ends up happening is the number of problems and the number of solutions they're able to deliver is dramatically smaller than what they had anticipated going in because they were looking mm -hmm. at saying, we've got this massive amount of data. We can solve all these different problems. And so, and, and that's a little bit, I think of what we see is like people look at it and say, Hey, we've got all this data. Let's solve all these things. Boom, 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 boom. And the reality is, is that you have to prioritize where you're seeing the most breakage in these processes. Where do you think there's the most, most opportunity for gain? And there's two ways to think about that. Do you go for the home runs or do you go for a bunch of singles and doubles? And I think in some situations, it's glaring opportunities to hit home runs. And it's not that bet the farm type of home runs, but it's, it's situations where you know you've got a problem. In some cases, it takes a little bit of 
what's the word I'm looking for? Courage to actually step up and admit we have starting with, we have a problem. Cause I think that's what we see a lot of times is people not willing mm-hmm. to step up and say, we actually have a problem here. It's been broken for a while. We all know it. And we've kind of lived with this mm-hmm. to me. It's that's kind of the first step in this process of like, you have to have the courage as an organization to say, and not punish people for, we have a problem and we have to fix it and we have to address it. Once you know you have the problem, then it start, you start to look at it and say, okay, how do we quantify the size of that problem? And that's something that we see more and more people on the, on the, you know, the analyst side, they're spending more time really kind of trying to assess the, the scale and the, and the value of the problems they're solving. Because I've seen a lot of organizations in the past that have went in to solve problems and you get to the other side of it, you're like, yeah, we solved the problem, but the ROI on that fix was, it, it, it was small. It was just, it wasn't worth the effort in some ways to go try and fix it. And so I think quantifying, you know, having the courage, quantifying the problem is another, another before you get started. And then three, really trying to make this an organizational data quality and data needs to be an organizational opportunity and an organizational strategy and, and initiative, not a initiative on the data teams and not a huge, de- you know, not creating this dependency on the data teams to fix problems. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I think that we see, we're seeing more and more of now is a broader kind of set of stakeholders and owners around these problems. And the organizations that are doing it really well actually look at it as data is a enterprise-wide initiative. It's not a data team or a IT or, you know, it's not this team's problem. It's, it's our problem and our opportunity to fix. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a great point. I wonder if you could say more about these teams and the way that they are, are set up when they're most effective, because I, I mean, at the top level, I'm sure a CEO, you know, wants to have quality data and to use it effectively, but is not going to execute that himself or herself necessarily. And then there's data teams and that's probably all they care about is the data that's coming in, but they don't, they, they don't get that necessarily that broad overview. So how do you put a team together and whose responsibility, whether that's a person or a group, who ends up in successful situations making this organizational change when it comes to data? Because yeah. in many cases, I don't think that's anyone's specific job. No, it's not. And I, and I think what, what, what a lot of times happens in organizations is and I, th- I think you mentioned this at the very front of our conversation is there are a lot of times where it almost feels too complicated or too overwhelming for companies to even start to address. And so I think what you're seeing more and more of what we're seeing is there has been over the last few years, this emergence of a chief data officer. But again, mm-hmm. it's not about putting data in a silo and saying, okay, this team is responsible for data, put them over here. I see that the companies that are the most successful are saying, hey, we're going to create a chief data officer role, but it's not for the silo. It is a cross-organizational function that works closely with the CMO, that works closely with the, you know, the, the CTO, that works closely with the head of product and CPO. And those companies that view that chief data role officer as a cross-organizational role, not a put data in a silo and put somebody over top of it and own it, Mm-hmm. that's where I think you're seeing success happen in organizations because you have to get buy-in and you have to get support and you have to get the senior leaders in these organizations that are cross-functional, that have ownership of budgets, that have ownership of teams, that have real bent, direct benefits from this. 
and real direct challenges with this have to have ownership and have to be involved, but it can't be hand the problem off to the CDO or hand the problem off to IT because they're the ones that are capable of fixing it because it's a real technical mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. It, the reality is that it has to be a real organization-wide initiative and you have to have senior level people own and have responsibility and buy into that. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think more people are seeing it that way, which makes me want to ask one of my last questions is about the future. And I know people get hesitant. You don't want to predict the future because, you know, we look back and we're always going to be wrong to some extent. But where do you see things going? Where do you see trends that may be just starting right now? I mean, you have you, we've talked about the last 20 years or so and how things have changed. Do you see any trends maybe starting or, or gaining steam right now that, that you anticipate will become bigger? Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things we're seeing, it's across, you know, let me, let me say it differently. We're seeing today a huge shift around privacy. So you see the moves by Apple and Google's coming with their own set of, of initiatives around data privacy. And Amazon's doing the same. It's interesting if you've seen this last, I don't know, this last quarter, the earnings announcements by Snap and by Facebook they all gave warnings of like, listen, this whole world that was built in digital media, but you know, a, nearly a trillion dollar global business around digital advertising and digital media was highly, highly dependent on third-party cookies, third-party IDs, log files mm -hmm. to build a massively profitable, optimized and targeted ecosystem brands and it worked for the big media companies, but the, the stakeholder that was left out of that was the end users. And I think Apple has kind of shifted, you know, they made some shifts and I've seen all over the industry right now, we're hearing it from customers, we're hearing it from vendors who built their infrastructure and built their businesses on the backs of these IDs, these third-party IDs, their th third-party cookies. To me, that is a tectonic shift. And it's a, it reminds me a little bit of kind of, you know, those companies that were built on that are dinosaurs. They are going to go extinct. This, this world is changing. There's a lot of people holding out, hoping it's not going to go that way, but it, it is going there. Mm -hmm. And the opt-out rates you're seeing in the 70s and 80s percent on Apple's devices, I think that's where this is going. And, and so that to me is one of the big shifts is this, this shift from dependency on third-party data to a dependency on first-party data and really focusing on testing and and experimentation for optimization, not a reliance on third-party data and, and leveraging and, and how to say bypassing privacy, other, I think, legitimate concerns at the, you know, to optimize an industry. And it's, it's going to require some huge shifts in this industry. We architected our whole, it's kind of interesting. We architected our whole system at that idea that this is about experimentation. It's about summary level data. It's not about user level data. And it's being able to optimize across the walled gardens at the same time IDs are going away, which makes it even more challenging. But there are ways around this that require more work and more discipline on the part of advertisers and media companies. And honestly, I think it's where we're going. It's where the, where the industry is going to end up. And it's those that are leading out on this that are going to be winners. And it's going to be a whole different set of winners and losers come, you know, 
end of next year. And it's grinding towards that. That's one big shift is this whole change is happening there. The other, and that's, that precipitates this whole dependency and opportunity around first party data. And so I think those two are hand in hand. That's one of the big changes I see happening. At the same time, you see the, the growth and the sophistication and the scale of the cloud-based kind of data infrastructure and data platforms, Snowflake and others that are purpose-built in some ways and getting the scales getting there to, to help address these problems. But they're helping address the processing side of this equation and the, and the, the infrastructure side of it. The other piece that I think is still, that people are still struggling to get their hands around is how do I get the right data to actually power this infrastructure to get, uh, to, to, to drive the optimization and drive the, the insights and to drive the, the business decisions that I need to make? Because largely, you know, if, if you're a business that's built on, on data as, as, as a asset that you're decisioning off of, you have to recognize this shift and you have to be ahead of it or you're going to be caught kind of flat-footed. And that's, you know, that's what kills companies is, is mm-hmm. you know, if, you're, if your business is built around data and that's part of your strategy, if you do not get out in front of this, it, you're going to get killed. Wow. I mean, there's, there's so much and we could talk forever about this because it's such a, a huge topic and, and so interesting. But it does also segue nicely to the, the last question I wanted to ask you, which is, Knowing all this, considering all that you've just spoken about, what could business leaders do? What two things could business leaders do today to address that, to start to address that? Obviously, it's a, it's a huge thing, but if somebody's listening to this, is going to go into the office tomorrow and say, I want to start doing these things, what might those things be? Yeah, I think the first thing I would talk about, and, and I mentioned this earlier, and it's more, it's more broad than us, it's around data standards. Really be focused on how do we as an organization create, manage, and enforce data standards? You have to have standards around this. It, we, the, the world is built on standards. And if you're going to scale anything, you have to have standards. And so I think one thing that, that we have seen where a lot of companies fall short is there's, there's not this sense of uh, this ownership of the standards. They're relying on third-party applications and the data that's being, and the attributes and the fields that are being fed from those third-party solutions as a, in a sense, that is our data model. That is our data standard. You ha- I think companies have to take ownership and be proactive about creating standards and a standardized business model or standardized data model that they are going to operate their business off and think about it as, an, as the standardization of the data model that powers the, the business itself and powers the kind of data engine. That's one thing I would say. The other big thing is organizations have to take and look at data as enterprise-wide imperative. I think there's still this, this belief that it's other people's problems and, you know, yeah, we may be, we may be contributing it, but we don't own it. Somebody else owns it. And so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of kicking the can down the road on addressing data quality and data problems. And I think that is something that organizations have to come to grips with and have to be honest about where they're actually at on that and, and understand how they're going to measure where they are in that maturity and where they are in that journey. Because, if not, with as big a scale as we're talking about, as much of velocity as there in data and, and just where this industry is going, they will get run over and it's wow. tough to recover. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot to think about. And yeah, Verl, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share these insights with myself and with listeners today. It's been, 
been really informative. No, it's my pleasure to be here, Chris. I, I'm passionate about this. I spent 20 years of my career kind of circling around this. And, you know, you'd think 20 years into this, we'd have more of this figured out, but that's, I think, the opportunity. And I think that is what gets me excited every day to come to work and, and do what we do. And, you know, to be able to do it with some of the smartest minds and some of the greatest companies in the world is makes it even that much, you know, funner to, to do this. So for people who want to follow you or who want to learn more about what it is you're doing, what do you suggest they look at? You know, look me up on LinkedIn. There's, I'm the only Viral Allen out there. Probably the only Viral you'll have anywhere in your network. The other thing is, you know, www.clarivine.com. You know, we, we'd love to have, we're always interested in having discussions around this. We love not just from a, you know, let's sell you something, but more of as we continue to grow our business, it's really helping us understand who else out there is, is aligned with kind of our view on the world and really mm-hmm. trying to partner with those folks to kind of push this, this, these initiatives that we believe in forward. Perfect. Well, Viral, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. It's good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Data Chats. And to listeners, you can harness the power of your organization's data with Pragmatic Institute's new course, Business Driven Data Analysis. Improve your data team's approach to analysis and stakeholder communication and empower them to drive business outcomes through critical insights. The upcoming open enrollment session of business-driven data analysis runs from January 24th through March 17th with classes on Mondays and Thursdays. Or speak to our sales team about scheduling a private training tailored to your team's needs. Learn more at pragmaticinstitute.com data.